I'm Arlen Hamilton, and I'm an investor. In 2015, I launched Backstage Capital, a venture capital fund, after experiencing food and housing insecurity for most of my life. I wanted to invest in companies led by founders who are women, people of color, and LGBTQ, just like me. I have invested in more than 150 companies since 2015 and growing. I started Your First Million to understand what it was like to make your first million dollars, get your first million fans or downloads, and to see if there was a common thread between us all. Join me as I talk to people from all walks of life about how they got where they are, what they learned on the way, and where they're going. And for those of you who are wondering, yes, I made my first million. <laughs> Let's talk about it. They slept on me, but now they won't. Because I got a million. Fresh out the mud, but I'm clean and so. Because I got a million. I got my first million. I got my. Hi, it's Arlen. Welcome back to your first million. Have a bonus episode for you that I'm thrilled about. I put together for the first time in the same room. Uh, on Zoom, virtually, my friends Mandela, Candice, and Monique. You've heard from Monique on this podcast before because I did an interview with her. And I've spoken to all three on panels and, and interviews in the past, but I've never really gotten them in the same room before. They all know each other and vice versa. Really excited to do this. It's like two months in the making. Uh, we planned it out and got to talk and get real and get human and get you know, to the heart of things. Um, we talk a, a lot about investing in venture capital and startups, yes, but we also talk about the person behind the role. And uh, it's like being a fly on the wall in a conversation between us. So I, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, Before we start, I want to give a shout out to my friend Justin Kahn's pod, The Quest. Justin co-founded Twitch, and sold it to Amazon for almost a billion, with a B, a billion dollars. The quest is about eternal growth. We all have our own battles to fight. Justin dives into the ups and downs of trailblazers around him, from tech, the NBA, K-pop, and beyond, to help you figure out life and get to where you want to be. Check out The Quest with Justin Kahn on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to my interview with Justin on episode 11 of Your First Million or season one of his podcast, episode seven of The Quest. So first, I'm just going to introduce and say hi to everybody who's here because this is like the lineup of all lineups. I feel like I, I hit the jackpot here. So we'll start with Candice Matthews. Uh, Mandela Dixon and Monique Woodard. Um, Candace, can you introduce yourself? It's a little early in the morning for me. I'm a little slow. <laughs> this morning. That's all right. It's the afternoon here where I'm at. So I'm, I'm, I'm preparing to go. <laughs> you three set up the time. So it has nothing to do with me. Awesome. Uh, so Candace Matthews Brekeen, uh, one of the general partners here at Lightship Capital uh, and the founder of the Lightship Foundation. We run three programs, um, so formerly known as Hillman Accelerator, so Lightship Accelerator, Lightship Bootcamp, um, and Twitch Pitch. 
Yes, and I it was totally my fault for leaving off the Brackeen because how, how could I? How could it's I, believe me, there are days. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Brian uh, is one of my favorite people in the world, and I'm so delighted for the both of you, um, Brian Brackeen, Mandela. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I agree. Arlen, this is an all-star lineup. Um, so my name is Mandela Schumacher Hodge Dixon. I'm the CEO of a company called Founder Gym. We're an online training program training underrepresented founders around the world on how to raise venture capital to scale their tech startups. We've served over 550 founders in the last three and a half years, spanning six continents and 26 countries. Incredible. And Monique. Um, I'm Monique Woodard. I am the founding partner and managing director at Cake Ventures, um, an early stage venture firm uh, focused on investing in technology companies that touch areas of demographic change. Yes. And I have interviewed or been interviewed by or worked with or done something with each of you. Uh, we've never, I don't think we've ever, the four of us have gotten in the same room together or the same Zoom I don't together. Think so. Yeah, that is that is cool. Do do you all talk to each other? I'm sure you do all the time. Do you all talk to each other and get? I've hung out in the kitchen with Monique before, and <laughs> just recently uh, was on a panel with Mandela. And I think we've done maybe two so far. Is that yeah? Me? Yeah, our last one was on Clubhouse. That was my first time talking on Clubhouse. I got to do it with Candice and then Monique and I go way back. So, <laughs> no, so far back. <laughs> Well, I, part of, I part mean, of what I, I feel like talk. we use each other all the time, but, you know, COVID times. Yeah. And part of what I wanted to talk about is that going back, going way back and kind of the different um, ways that the four of us are approaching or have been approaching the work that we do and kind of the same going towards the same goals, you know, and it's just this four pronged assault. <laughs> um, but uh, before I get into like the all the nitty gritty on the work that we do, because it can be exhausting too, right? All of this, all of, I think a lot of things are on our shoulders. I'm just going to speak for us a couple of times here. I think a lot is on our shoulders and sometimes um, we miss out on the fact that we're all people and we're all have our different personalities and different things. So I wanted to kind of just talk a little bit more personally. Um, this is going to sound kind of silly, but I want to know, what is the, where, why were you named what you were named? I was taking a look at everybody's name. And I'm like, why was everybody named what they were named? Let's start with uh, Monique. I think my mom got my name from a uh, soap opera. I think it might have been a character on like Another World. Wonderful. Was, <laughs> I know you're a big General Hospital fan. <laughs> uh, correct. Yes. So Your I think is impeccable has impeccable taste. <laughs> I think there was a Monique character on Another World, and that's how. She named me. I should ask. I mean, she's like in the other room, so I could go oh, ask her. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Mandela. Yeah, so mine might be easy to guess, but I was named after Nelson Mandela. He was still imprisoned at the time. I was born in 1985, and he was released several years later. He actually made a stop um, on his U.S. tour after his release in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. So my vivid memory of my child is my father taking me to a big auditorium and screaming in front of everyone, my daughter's name, Mandela. And so I never got to meet Nelson Mandela close up, but I'm sure he heard my father. He was a very boisterous man. <laughs> That's that's intense. And how was how was that uh, 
growing up? I mean, did people recognize the You know, it depends on who they are. And I think their level of wokeness, to be honest with you, even still today, some people are like, oh, that's a pretty name. And they don't really make the correlation, which is fine. But fun fact is that in my kindergarten, there was a boy named Mandela and he was named Mandela for the same exact reasons. And we went through kindergarten through fifth grade all at the same time. So I and the craziest thing I'm going to tell you one more crazy fact is guess what his last name was? Dixon. No. 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 <laughs> Come on. And well, then you, my maiden name is Schumacher Hodge and I married Brian Dixon named Dixon. That's okay. incredible. That's incredible. No, that's not wild. Yeah. Have you have you looked him up? Yeah, yeah. We're Facebook friends. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. And Candace. So my aunt Carmen um came up with my name. My mom wanted to name me Paige. And she was like, that's a very um, interesting name. Let's find a different name. <laughs> and and so, Mandela's uh, business partner's page. <laughs> yeah, I love the name. I love the name. I would have gone with that. And so my aunt was really into kind of like African history. And so Candace is like a Latinized version um, of a queen that was named in the Bible. I think she was Ethiopian or something like that. Um, so it was kind of, I think it was Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Um, and so, yes, very, uh, Latinized version of a different Candace, the queen of Ethiopians. Who knows? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Who knows? I would have gone with Paige too. (laughs) I'll tell my, my origin, but then that makes me want to ask about like, oh, I want to get to know so much more about y'all. I don't want to know about like your your identities and backgrounds and everything. So we'll do that if you don't mind. My origin is, um, Arlen is like a unisex name, mostly men, unless you're in the Philippines and then there's a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was named, originally named Arlen because my mother was upset with my father at the time because he, I used to think it was that he got to my birth late, but apparently he was at my birth and stormed out before I was born. So, and because they're always fighting. And so she named me after her ex-boyfriend. Mom. Yeah. Sadly. Mom went for it. You see, I come from royal, like petty royalty. So, <laughs> so uh, Mom chose violence. <laughs> but after that, um, she did seriously say that she wanted me to have that name because she felt it was a power. She used to call it a power name. Mm. As in, you know, people mistaking you for a man at the time was power. And it worked a lot of times on paper. You know, I hated it during when I was a kid because they would always say, you know, his his mother is here to pick him up, you know, and I just it didn't resonate with me. But uh, over time, I just really started to appreciate it. Um, And can we do another round of just like your background, like your your parents and your makeup and all of that? Is that okay, or is that just a little? okay? Okay, so we'll start with Mandela. All right. So mom is German descent. Father is African descent. But the last point we're able to point his ancestry to is Antigua in the Caribbean. And my dad grew up with 11 brothers and sisters in a two bedroom apartment in the Johnson Projects of Spanish Harlem. My mom grew up in a totally different world in Des Moines, Iowa, very poor. Her mother was a daughter in the Great Depression and had five brothers. And she was the only girl. Her father died at a young age. And so she she was thrust upon a lot of responsibility and helped raise all of her brothers. So those are my parents. And Monique. Um, so I come from like four or five generations of Floridians and I grew up in rural Florida. 
very, very rural Florida, not Miami. Um, and, uh, my dad, uh, my dad grew up and his father was a farmer and my mom's father was also a farmer and, um, you know, they sort of knew each other. They went to different high schools, but, you know, certainly knew each other and then eventually started dating each other. But, um, yeah, I grew up in, in rural Florida. Um, my family is still there. Um, and that's where I'm from. Uh, and I'm like one of the first people to really leave my hometown, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, my, my dad, my grandfather and my dad and my uncles all had this farmland in a time when, you know, black people in the South didn't really often didn't have, um, keep control of their farmland. And we still have that land in our family. You which do. Is, that, so I, I just wrote down the word farmland and circled it because I wanted to come back to that. You So you still have yeah. that in your family. You do. That's do. so cool. And they would, you know, my grandfather raised cows and my uncle, my great uncle raised pigs. And um, my they also farmed like peas and corn and, and things like that. So, you know, very, very farm rural oriented. So I would love to get your opinion uh, offline about some of the work we're doing with farming now that we just announced. Um, and maybe maybe there's something we can do together when it comes to looking at looking at properties and looking at how that money is going to flow, because that's the whole point of us doing it at Backstage. Very cool. Candice. Oh, my goodness. So my dad's side of the family is from Mississippi, um, so the Kosciuszko area. Um, very rural Mississippi. They were in um, the death industry. So undertakers and um, yeah, they worked in, um, they worked in funeral homes, um, moving bodies from house to house up and down um, different kind of corridors throughout Mississippi um, because obviously black bodies were treated. You had to have a black undertaker or mortician. Mm -hmm. Um, So they did that for many years my father was the first person not in the death industry. So he moved north and migrated to Toledo. Um, and he worked for BP oil refinery for almost 40 years. Um, and then my mom's side of the family had been in Toledo for my goodness, the last 100 ish years. Um, and so my mother worked at a, like a local bank branch branch. There were, there were six of us, his, hers, and ours. So I'm the only girl. And, uh, all of my siblings, except for one, lives in Toledo still. Incredible. See, I, yeah. I didn't, I've known you all for years. And I don't think I've known that information. Like, maybe I knew a, a percentage of that information. Um, that's, that's, you know, I don't drink anymore, but you, that's the kind of thing where you kind of want to just, you know, sit around for a few hours and get to know someone. Very cool. Okay. Um, and Mandela, do you speak German? No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I speak some conversational Spanish, but that's about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, just kind of getting a lay of the land too. Um, told you I was going to just ask you personal questions for most. Of it. <laughs> uh, so what are we representing age wise and what are we representing location wise right now? So I'm in Cincinnati um, and I'm 42. I'll be 43 next week. Nice. Nice. Happy early birthday. Thank early you. birthday. Happy birthday, turn up. <laughs> <laughs> so I am, um, I'm sorry, Monique, go ahead. 
Oh, it's okay. Uh, so I'm Monique. This is Monique. I'm uh, 44. I'll be 45 in July. And I live in San Francisco. Awesome. Nice. I'm 35 and I live in Oakland. Nice, nice, nice. And I'm 40 and I live in Los Angeles. Man. Okay. I got a couple. I got a couple of singing groups I'm putting together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's, you can't see this if you're listening. Only uh, there's a lot of no's coming from the from the crowd. Uh, this is not happening. Um, so you don't know this, Arlen, and maybe you do. But um, Minnie Ripperton is my father's first cousin, or was my father's first father's cousin. first cousin. So are you related uh, to Maya Rudolph? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So her daughter's name is Minnie. My great grandmother, no, my yeah, my great grandmother's name was Minnie. So the Minnie Whose is a family name. name. Maya. Maya's Maya daughter's name is Minnie. She has a daughter named Minnie. She has four children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. No. Yeah, but I but singing other... is not my thing. But they sing. Right. But it's me. in the family. Do we have any other people who are connected by a couple degrees of any any fun facts in that lane? My sister worked in the music industry for several years, like mm-hmm. Alicia. Chris Brown, Latoya Luckett. But I've gone on tour with a couple of them. That was fun. But I can dance, you know. I'm not saying I can dance well, but I really enjoy it. So yeah. I like women on stage. So all right, we we, we putting stuff together. And I know that Monique has the, the background in music for sure. I do, but I'm so untalented. Like I can't sing. I'm not a great dancer. Like my only talent is telling people things to do. Yes. <laughs> and organizing that's a huge talent there's a photo of me in the in junior high from junior high um i just had a glimpse of what i looked like so i'm laughing but there's a photo of me and i'm just pointing at a group of people and telling them how to create a pyramid of like like cheerleading and i'm just standing there like i'm not going to get in there but i'll tell you where who needs to be where um and it's very it's very indicative. Why those things are ever done, I have no idea either. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we we do all uh, approach. We all we all are going towards similar goals. I don't know if they're exact same goals, but we're going towards similar goals, and we approach it in in slightly different ways. In some cases, and definitely different ways in other cases. Um, can we talk a little bit about like what is your, I guess your anniversary year of how many years you've been working in this lane because we all have backgrounds let's start with candace yeah I, I think i might be the newbie of the group so let's see um we started the accelerator in 2017 started the meetup group in 2016 so it's mm-hmm. just been five years well you say just i mean five years is five years more than most you very know, true and, and you can always jump in um, I, I like to make sure people know that they still, there's still room and there's still, oh, there's you know, so much room. <laughs> so five solid years, five uh, solid years. Mandela and Monique. Yeah. My, I, I would say my, my story and like working towards this has probably been working on myself as an entrepreneur. And I began my journey as an entrepreneur. It'll be 10 years on June 6th of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that completely changed the trajectory of my life. I still like, I'm, I'm still in the process of becoming my fully realized self. And I just really love, um, helping other people become that for themselves as well and utilizing tech and entrepreneurship and this tool called venture capital to do so. So it's 10 years in my entrepreneurship journey. It's been six years since I really got into venture capital. Like I worked at Cape Four Capital that was starting in 2015. And then it's been about three and a half years since I've been doing Founder Gym, which is the training program teaching people mm-hmm. how to leverage venture capital to scale their dreams. Mm-hmm. And Monique? Um, so I started in venture in 2016, 15, 16, something like that. Um, and then before that, I started Black Founders in 2010. He kind of just uh, throws that in there like it was. Yeah. That should have gone first. You know, so I started Black, fa- black Founders uh, <laughs> way before <laughs> any of us were born. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's um, cool. That's cool. And then like Mandela, I was an entrepreneur for a very long time. I mean, I put my first website on the Internet in like 1999. Yeah. What was that website? So I was a bootstrap founder and I built a series of media websites and platforms. Back then Mm -hmm. we used to call them everything, nothing sites, Ian. And then I figured out how to monetize them and make them make money. And I kept doing that for a very long time and just building different things that I thought were interesting, subscription platforms, subscription sites, um, and got good at that, I guess. And... Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, yeah, that's how I made my first money on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, backstage has been a a decade long uh, in the making and, um, definitely. Oh, it's been a decade now. It's been a decade since I started working on it. Yeah. I was, it was in Pearland, Texas in 2011 when uh, I started making those emails that I can track. And I had to track all these emails for Gimlet when I was on startup they had okay. to see all the evidence of what I was saying. And so I was able to go back um, and look at all these emails that I wrote to people in 2011 and 2012 and 2013 saying, hello, <laughs> you know, like these founders, hey, what are you doing? And then 2015, September 15th is when I got my first investment. So that's that's what when, when you, you know, say how long has Backstage been an entity, a legal entity, I guess we start there. But it was definitely years before that, before uh, anything happened. And it just, of course, have just treated my whole life as entrepreneurship and, and had all kinds of lives in between. But uh, it took it took till I was 35 to understand how to monetize and keep myself afloat, as I'm sure you all have heard more times than you care to hear, <laughs> to, to mention. Um, but, yeah, it's been it's been a decade. And I wonder how you all think about um So let's, you know, I want to define what you all do individually so that we can all be on the same track. And then I would love to hear your take on how you keep yourself motivated through all of this. Because today I think people are like, oh, well, it just makes all the sense in the world to be doing what we're doing. But it hasn't been like that the whole time. Um, So Mandela, start with you. Um, Can you pinpoint what you do in the ecosystem and then... And then how do you keep yourself motivated? Yeah. So what we are is we are similar, I think, to a good um, 
a good foundation for people to think about it as we're like an accelerated program, but we are not a traditional accelerated program. A traditional accelerated program is one that invests in a set of companies that make up their cohort or their portfolio. It's very much like a VC firm, but it has training and mentorship built around it. Whereas Founder Gym is strictly a training program. It's like a professional development program for tech CEOs who want to learn a specific set of business, which is raising venture capital. It's a six-week all online cohort. It's always been online. And that's basically what it is. The reason I chose back in when I, I needed this, it was originally it was called, um, what was it called? The Startup Couch. And it was like a blog in 2015. And then I was interviewing, including Arlen, a bunch of people. And so, oh, and Monique, and I mean, everybody, all my homies. I was interviewing a bunch of people and just trying to demystify, you know, this Black box that is venture capital and try to give people the real. And so it was much more like just a content play. And then I talked to my girlfriend, Danielle Leslie, who's like the master of online courses. And she's like, Mazzella, you got to monetize this. I was like, all right, girl, tell me how. And so then, <laughs> then I did a program that was called communicate like a boss, because one of the things that I think is my superpowers is communicating, whether interpersonally, publicly, over email. Um, I really have a way of connecting with people. So I wanted to teach people this art form in which you can really build out teams and form partnerships and raise venture capital. And then that took off. And I was like, all right, I want to scale this up. I want to use more technology. And that's when I formalized Founder Gym was in the summer of 2017. But I didn't launch Founder Gym until six months later. I was still at a venture capital firm. I had just gotten married. I had bills to pay. My husband was like, uh-uh, honey, it ain't time <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, we got bills to pay. So um, I had to create my own runway. Like we've been fully bootstrapped. So we don't have LPs, limited partners that are funding us and investing in companies alongside us. It's fully a training program. So I think that's what's really different about us. And so what we really do is we try to prepare people to raise their first million, their first two million. And, you know, we've been very successful at that. 70% of our founders are Black founders, um, 30% are Black women and the Project Diane report that's been instrumental in keeping people informed about really the great disparities in funding for Black women founders in particular. You know, they put out a, a report in what was it, December 2020, this past year, saying that 93 Black women in all of history have raised a million, you know. Um, and when we looked at the data, 10 of those founders were founder gym graduates, and we had only been in existence for three years. And then we just had our 11th, who we're going to be announcing soon. Uh, we have an oversubscribed round. So we, we, we are very focused on teaching one thing, which is venture capital. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, Monique. Um, and I'm very focused on deploying venture capital. <laughs> 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 so I feel like, you know, we're, we're all a chain in this conversation. Um, you know, my focus is investing in companies that can be, you know, the, the public companies of tomorrow. Um, and I am wanting to, and trying to do that as inclusively as possible, because I believe that, um, you know, every, the heads of companies should look like and reflect the society and the world that we have. And I just don't think they do right now. And, you know, I've invested in some amazing black founders and I've invested in some amazing women and, 
um, Latino founders, and I'm going to keep. Hey, just wanted to stop in just for a second and tell you about cohort two of my new investing course. I told you about the first cohort a few weeks ago, and we've already had a really, really amazing time together. 45 students got together from all over the world virtually, and we spent four weeks together learning uh, as much as we could about investing and specifically investing as a catalyst. And it went so well that I decided to do another cohort and we're starting June 1st, 2021. Check it out at arlen.capital, arlen, A-R-L-A-N dot capital. You have to check it out. Are you an aspiring investor? Do you think maybe I can't be an investor because I don't have enough money? Let me tell you something. You can invest in reg CF deals on platforms like Republic, WeFund, or StartEngine, and they usually start at about $100 a piece. So we'll talk about in the course how you build your portfolio with as little as $100 to start. And so, so, so much more. So many people are talking about this course, Arlen.Capital. I cannot wait to see you in class. We could probably talk for hours about the raising of those funds and those LPs. You know, when when, when exactly. Mandela said she didn't have LPs, I was just like, jealous. <laughs> <Girl>. <laughs> because, you know, I, I mean, I, I appreciate LPs, obviously, and right. I love being an LP, but it is right. a an uphill climb like no it, other. Yeah, it is a it is a slog to actually, you know, the way that for the audience, the way that venture funds are raised is that you go out and you raise money from limited partners and those limited partners can be university endowments, they can be high net worth individuals, they can be family offices, they can be fund to funds, um insurance companies, there are lots of different types of corporate um venture capital there are lots of different types of LPs, but it is really possibly the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life to raise capital from, from limited partners in order to stand up a fund. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll come back to, um, after we talk to Candace, we'll t- come back to how we keep ourselves motivated. And Monique and I have a, co- um, a conversation on your first million. You can go back to and listen to where we go more in depth about that. Um, Candice, what is your work pinpointed? And, and then we'll talk about how we keep ourselves motivated. Well, I'm jealous of everyone else because they, they have like this one area of, of focus. <laughs> and I'm here in the middle of the country. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very true. Very true. Because you threw a book in there and podcasts and yeah. everything. So, yeah. um, so I launched an accelerator back in 17 called the Hillman Accelerator. We were focused originally on running a 12-week accelerator program, really standard, um, using the Global Global Accelerator Network Toolkit, Mm -hmm. um, because really here in the center of the country, there was nothing for us. There was nothing for BIPOC founders, women founders. If you were an underrepresented founder, as you've coined it, um, there wasn't a place. Underestimated. Thank you. Um, we, there just wasn't anything for us. And so that's what I started with. What I realized over what I've realized over the last five years is that, um, you have to build something different for this group of people, um, because there's a different need altogether. Many times they're further along than their majority peers. And so they need tweaks 
here and there. So that's what we provide with our accelerator is two six-week sprints, one focused on a killer issue within the company, the other um, focused on building a strategic partnership. So, um, you know, a small example of that is we have a company in our portfolio that's a mobile dentistry company. They do everything from Invisaligns to extractions, x-rays, you name it, all in a mobile van. Um, But we've helped them build a really strong partnership with um, a dental insurance provider um, so that they can then offer those vans in the areas of the country that they're at. It takes a lot of work for a small team. So as an accelerator, that's the work that we provide them with, building a strategic partnership and sometimes making that first big hire. A CTO is kind of a big one because many times people don't have that um, technical talent on their team to start. So that's our, our big focus on the foundation side. We do that in bite-sized nuggets with a boot camp that we run that used to be called NUMI um, Accelerator. Um, so Lightship Bootcamp does that um, over the course of a week. Um, in houses around the country. So this year we'll do those in Cincy, Tulsa, Detroit, Cleveland, and Toledo. Um, and then I also have a fund. So I initially started raising a $20 million fund. We're on track to raise about $50 million. I wish I could just stop early. I may just stop early. It's just a lot of work and I just want to do my job. Mm-hmm. Um, things always seem easy in the beginning and people give those like soft circle yeses. And then they're just like, it's just the most annoying process ever. But that's what I do. Um, focused on supporting um, Black, Indigenous. I, I wish we can get rid of the term BIPOC. Black people, <laughs> Indigenous people, people of color. Um, those who identify as women, people in the LGBTQ community, and those who have disabilities. So people just typically overlooked by venture capital, um, which is pretty much everyone. And why, why do you wish we could get rid of BIPOC? Is it you just like labels? What do we think of labels in general? Well, I think when we, this is me and I could be wrong, but when I hear BIPOC, um, it sometimes bother, bothers me because I feel as if the black gets taken out and that there's, it's no longer a focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many times I'll stretch the whole thing out so that everybody can know what I meant. The, like every single time, because I started this because of black founders. Oh, that makes sense. And I, you know, I believe me, my favorite thing in the world is to have uh, women of color, black women get together and disagree. So if anybody has a disagreement, please throw it out there because it's like my favorite thing. Um, um, and I hadn't yeah, thought about that. I'm not, a, I would agree. I don't have a disagreement. I'm not a fan of BIPOC, but mostly mm-hmm. because I thought it meant bisexual people of color for the very oh, long time. <laughs> Oh, that part. I love it. I like that. <laughs> and I someone told me, I was like, wait, that is not what it means. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I think the thing I just want to contribute to this is I love pushing back on the language that we've inherited in this industry. Like one of the things that Arlen has clearly done is flip the term underrepresented on its head by saying underestimated. And it just yeah. changed is even how you are viewing the problem and maybe who who's the cause of the problem and why is the problem existing? Is it the way people are viewing other people and they are looking at them through a limited lens? So I just I just love the fact, and I think Arlene, you've done this many times. Like I, I follow you on Instagram, I follow you on Twitter, but your use of language and my background is as an English teacher. So like I'm very particular about words and cadence and I just feel like you are, um, you've done a really good job at setting an example for other people to push back on the language that is standard use in this industry. Yeah, thank you. I, I'm my whole thing is like 
is empowerment uh, us taking back. Because I, I don't even know if it's taking back. It's like so, most of us don't realize it was ours to begin with. And I just all even the word I really hate uh, minority. Like I don't like I I know it's factual, you know, it's statistically true, but those words just seem so demeaning and lower and um, tiered. But I, I mean, know um, it's almost it's, not statistically true anymore. Like we're we're upon the rise of a new majority, right? Right, right, right. So yeah, as as a really, group, I yeah. like to call people new majority. The new majority. Yeah. yeah, we just got a, a an investment from our state a few months ago, and there's some language in there about being socially disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Whoa, that's, yeah, I, that's I rough, you guys." I don't well, <laughs> disadvantaged, and it's uh, under under what is the word? Underserved. Underserved. I'm not a fan of that one either. I don't like it. Just all sounds so. Let's get a video camera out and just show how we're in the slums and how down and out we are and how how these white people are coming in and saving the day. It just feels yeah. so weird to me. But it's not it's not that I'm angry about it. It's like, can we can we just have some different wordage around it? And, and it has to come from us because it's not going to come from anyone else. And, you know, even with the best intentions, it's not going to come from anyone else in the way that feels right. And and uh, I know also, you know, speaking of dissenting opinion, I know Tiffany um, from the, I guess it was formerly known as Detroit Water Project. I think it's changed names. I think she said on Twitter, um, we're, and we're fr- very friendly, but I think she said, even underestimated now, it needs to change because that mm-hmm. had its time and now there needs to be something else. And and I understand where she's coming from with that. Um, but yeah, language, language is so much, because think about it is very the sticks and stones thing, you know. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but word and but words. What's the rest of it? Man, we only words the beginning. But words can never hurt me. They say words can never hurt me, but then there's a song that says, "Well, words can break my heart," and I can't remember who sings that. And to yeah. me, it's if I think back to any time in my childhood or any time in the last two weeks <laughs> that I've had my feelings hurt, it has been about words used. You know, and so words are just so words and terms and how you see yourself and view yourself. They're so important. And um, yeah, and even really, you know, seemingly innocuous words are constantly being internalized. Right. If you're yeah. if you have a term that you don't feel relates to you, but people are constantly putting that on you, then that's the constant internalization of that's right. someone else's point of view on you. That's right. A, a, a strange kind of left field example of that, that I just thought of is, um, co- and this is controversial. Some people will not agree with me, but as a former person addicted to alcohol, not calling myself an alcoholic has been super helpful, you know, to say I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic or I'm a former alcoholic, you know, because you just kind of sit in that term and you kind of tell yourself, well, I'm an alcoholic, so I'm going to eventually come back to that. And it's like, no, actually, you were addicted to alcohol for this point in time in your life and you are no longer addicted to alcohol. So it's it's not just what this is, you know, what they call you or what you think you are. I think there's so much there. Um, we, so, Arlen, we don't talk about that enough. And I, I appreciate yes. that you do talk about it. Um, alcohol? Absolutely. So I don't, I'm not certain if you know this, but I lost my mom five years ago to late stage alcoholism. No, I did not. Um, And so she, she couldn't, she couldn't get herself out of that cycle. 
Um, and it just, I mean, I, from the time I was 12 until the time I was in my late thirties, like that was a really tough thing. And so it just takes a, um, takes a lot of therapy and it takes a lot of honesty to face that and then to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm proud of you for, for that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, uh, I, I had to write a list. I didn't have to write a list. I wrote a list of accomplishments because that's another thing is trying to lead by example. I'm, I'm never going to shrink from telling you what I've done. That's not going to happen. And I hope you don't do this. I hope you do that as well. Um, but at the very end of it, I said, I did all this stuff in the last five years and I did it all mostly so like most of those years sober. And that's what's resonating the most with people is like that because that, people know how difficult that is. And I, I'm so sorry to hear about your mother. I, I didn't know. And uh, and just but I I do know what it's like to be around that in your family. And, and it's definitely and sometimes multi-generational. Partners. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. It's definitely, it's something, but so grateful. Couldn't, couldn't do what I do today. If I, if I hadn't done that, I would have either have passed away already or um, just have ruined everything that was good. I think at that point. So that's a whole, that's a whole conversation. We all have something. We just yeah. don't always tell people about it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And it's, there's a stigma, but there shouldn't be. I mean, anything, yep. I mean, every, like all your favorites are, are doing something, going through something, have something either now or in their past, you know, there's no one immune to, to something that is just, you know, and yeah. so, and so going Instagram will make you look like it though. I'll tell you well, what. That's what I say. You know, <laughs> I mean, the Instagram posts, like I, I, I did the whole, I don't know if you saw this, but the Janet Jackson, I won her, her yeah. truck and auction. But We're going to talk about that offline. Cause I just got my first vintage car. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. three days later I had an emergency root canal. I'm like, you didn't see that picture, right? You know, you see what I choose to show you, but I have said, look between the Instagram. If business and tech news shapes how we view the future of everything, how are we sure that those who lead the future have the full story when communities of color are rarely considered hubs for business, talent, and innovation? The Plug is the first journalism and insights platform examining Black tech innovation. By reporting on startups, investors, and corporate partnerships, they're creating business intelligence on the trends shaping Black innovation. Check out their data and become an annual subscriber for 15% off with the code ARLAN, A-R-L-A-N. Check them out at tpinsights.com. That stands for thepluginsights.com. tpinsights.com. Let them know I sent you. But let's go back to then how do we how do we keep ourselves motivated? Because I get asked this question a lot and it'd be great to hear from like the, the group of us. Because it, it's, it's, it's more difficult than it is easy more of the time, right? Or am I, am I the only one who feels that way? No, I think, it, I think that's fully true. And I think if uh, there was an objective third party who was used to my life in the day in and day out of it, <laughs> talking about what's, what's Instagrammable and what's not, uh, definitely most of my life is off of Instagram. Instagram, I always say, is a highlight reel, right, of the highlights of people's lives and just keeping that in mind and what they choose to show. And sometimes they choose to show the more vulnerable kind of private parts of their life. But it's also about maintaining a brand. And if that Instagram account serves a purpose, right, it's like has to be on brand. So anyway, that's a whole other conversation. I think what I worked really hard at in the last several years of my life is just living with the end in mind. 
I think um, going through a very traumatic experience when I was 17, going on 18 and my father passing away and he was like my rock, my hero, my everything. Unexpectedly, he was 54 years old. It just really, I think, rocked me to my core and just the mortality that we all have and that nothing is guaranteed. And um, I had a really hard time. I didn't grow up with a religion. And so I didn't also have a spiritual like way to navigate what just happened and where he went and what's the purpose of all this. So I went through a deep, deep depression. I went through exercise bulimia when I was a a collegiate athlete. You know, when you talk about Candace, the way in which we deal with trauma and and the things. And so I went deep into like personal development and reading all these books and going to all these lectures. And anyway, I kind of just, um, the way I, which I process my life now is just, you know, at the end of it, like, what will I be happy? I did the impact I had people said about me. And so I don't know, I just really get a lot of joy from bringing other people joy and trying to help them discover their joy. And I know that about myself and I just am unapologetic about it. Like that's what lights me up. It really is. I am a teacher at my core. When I learn something, I want to teach it. When I get something, I want other people to have it. Um, And so that's my driving force. But I would honestly say, the reason I'm able to still do founder gym is the only reason I'm an athlete. Like I'm very motivated by results. And so like, we are very data driven and we track everything. And if people were going through our program and they weren't actually raising money or they weren't, weren't, weren't even utilizing the skill set of being able to raise money to just become better stewards of capital in general, even if it's, you know, revenue generating capital, I, if, if there weren't results associated to the programming, I, I couldn't do it. I just, I, I just can't do it for optics. It's just not who I am. And so I think for me, just having these like data points keep coming up, that's been the biggest motivating factor for me. And still it's very, very hard because I think you are introducing people who've historically been left out on purpose of this wealth creation, innovation creation vehicle, and you are up leveling them and educating them in a very short amount of time. There's a lot of distrust that has to be fixed. There's a lot of distrust. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of all sorts when you talk about multi-generational factors at play when they're building their business that bleeds into their CEO ship. So um, I, I think for me, what motivates me is my North Star of just knowing my purpose on this earth is really to help people discover their joy. And maybe it comes in the form of entrepreneurship. Maybe it doesn't. But in this chapter of my life, I'm focused on it coming in the form of entrepreneurship and then the results. But that's it for me. Uh, Monique. Yeah, I think what keeps me motivated is the acceptance that this road is really long and it's not always <laughs> going to be easy. And, uh, you know, you will get used to people telling you no or you can't do something and you can choose to listen to those things or you can choose to completely ignore it and let the nose flow like water off a duck's back, right? And you have to be able to just wake up every day and put one foot in front of the other and decide that you're going to keep moving forward no matter what anyone else says. And that's a really, and that that kind of has to come internally because if you look externally for that kind of motivation and validation people will validate you one day and say something crazy about you tomorrow. So like, <laughs> so, so it really has to come like internally. Otherwise you're, it's not sustainable. 
Mm-hmm. And just, you know, the motivation of, yes, it's it's hard to get the first dollar into the fund. Um, and it's going to be hard to get the first million dollars into the fund or into your company if you're building a company. But, you know, just seeing that you can step by step by step that you can actually do it. I find that incredibly motivating. Mm-hmm. And then it almost becomes like a game. Like I can wake up and have a no from an LP in my inbox and move on. And it doesn't even, it, it makes me no difference today. Right. It's almost That's a number. These are not hard days. This is not hard work. It is hard, you know, sometimes demoralizing work in, in, in a lot of ways, because often people that you think will recognize your work don't. Um, but you have to recognize your own worth in your own work. Mm. And Candice? Wow. I, I would say I've been listening to them so much that I'm not even formulating an answer um, because they were fantastic answers. Yes. Um, you know, for me, it's just, I'm motivated, motivated by different things at different times, but I would say the overarching motivations are kind of the founders themselves. Um, every time there's a new founder, it's a new task or challenge. So I'm certain all of us watched like the Queen's Gambit and got a little bit into chess last year. There's like a, there's a game that's happening that allows that founder to get to, you know, going public or exit, whatever that looks like for them. Um, So I I love that journey. um, And I love to follow them because I've been an entrepreneur since I graduated from college. And so the business of building businesses is what keeps me moving as a person. Um, and if I'm being completely honest, like I needed a, it's for my kids to see something cool happen, right? They need to see a strong woman, a strong person in their life, a strong parent. I can't say woman, um, because they may not take that path, right? My boys may not take that path, but, um, it's my kids and the founders, I think that are the most, it's really not about self unless it's about like my ability to like get on my kayak or hang out on a friend's farm or something like that. Um, it's really about those two groups more than anything. Mm. Yeah. I think I, I'm just, I always imagine the listener when I'm recording these episodes and I just know that there's just so much um, healing, I think that will happen by listening to you all speak about this. Um, as we close out, I have two questions. Um, and I'll get, tell you the, the second one so you can start thinking about it. But one of them is, uh, you know, is there somebody you want to shout out who is a change maker that maybe doesn't get shouted out enough or maybe does, but you just want to say it again? I think if we all said someone. And then I wondered if anybody had a question for me, because I'd be happy to answer a question or two. And then we'll close. I have a question powerful Arlen, empowering Arlen, is like, based off of your 10-year journey, building backstage capital, like, what was your original hypothesis? And like, based off of your test, your initial test, like, what's changed about, about your approach? The original idea was that uh, I was looking around and I saw that so many people who were not white men because I knew that the, the same Diane project said 90% of funding was going to white men. I knew that everyone who wasn't a white man had 
that I saw who were building a company were doing so much with so little. And I just thought, just like Monique said, like a numbers game, I just thought if they're doing so much with so little, what happens when we give them more? It would just made all the sense in the world to me. Um, and I don't know that anything has changed from that. It's just bigger and brighter and better than I could have ever imagined. And the ones that I was seeing, um, including Brian, who's Candace's husband, was my very first uh, investment that I ever made. Um, they all proved, you know, in some way or fashion, proved that out. And it was just kind of walking through these past few years and just seeing the hundreds and hundreds and then thousands and thousands of companies. And um, obviously not every single company that we've seen is should be taking venture funding for, for sure, but many of them are viable companies and can, are life-changing for the, for the founder if, you know, uh, if given a chance. And so it only thing that changed was uh, I got more emboldened to do it. Thank you. Is there another big mountain that you feel that you want to climb either professionally or personally? Yes. Um, I look at the, all of what I do at backstage uh, and what we do at backstage, there's, there's the vision, there's the execution and there's the amplification. Vision started alone. Um, execution has been more people than I can count. And then amplification um, started in 2018. And I think, you know, the more projects that I work on in the media and the more things that I do that not just my face, you know, it's like a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So I'm producing a lot of and developing a lot of like scripted and non-scripted podcasts, television shows, movies, different projects in different areas where I think um, you, you, you take the example of what has been done at Backstage and you take it to the mainstream so that people across the country can understand and believe that they, they have a, a piece of it too. Um, that's the big thing for me. So I want to, uh, I'm going to spend the next five or 10 years building out all of the amplification of it as well. So um, it all has a, a method to it, right? Like just like I did six years ago and I said what I said in a hundred companies and people didn't understand that. And now in the last two weeks, we've had four companies um, either internally or externally announced $20 million raises. And we were the first in to most of those companies. Um, that same method is that same method to the madness is what I'm looking at when it comes to building out IP. Um, because ultimately what I want to do is I just, you know, we all talked about a lot, you know, about how difficult it is to raise from LPs. Well, ultimately I just want backstage to be backed by my personal wealth. And then we have to worry about all that, you know, and in turn backing other emerging managers. So there's just, there's a lot there that I see on the table, just like in uh, Queens Gambit, I see it all kind of laid out in front of me and um, I'll spend the next decade or so fulfilling it. Okay. Well, since you ask personal questions, I'll do the personal questions. So okay. where did you meet your wife? Uh, we originally met online because I used to have a, a, a website called Your um, Your Daily Lesbian Moment, and I had it for several years, and it was actually making a living for me at one point. No. And it had 50,000 readers um, a month in a time where there wasn't a ton of content for women who were queer. And um, we, we 
we disagree on where we met. I say we met on Facebook. She says Twitter. And we just started talking uh, about her work and because and, she liked she liked what I was doing with the with the uh, with the uh, blog. And I saw her work and she at the time was making these cute videos and very clever um, videos about um, culture, pop culture. And she had this, you know, cute accent and she was adorable. Um, but that we kind of left it at that. And then a few months later, we just started talking every day online. And I was I was so broke when we started talking. I was so broke. I couldn't see. I knew I wasn't going to get to see her. She was in Germany, in Barcelona, where she was living. And um, then on my 35th birthday in 2015, I flew to Barcelona after a year of knowing her online. And we've been inseparable since. And we got married in uh, August 2019. And she's in the next door making some beautiful music, I'm sure. Love it. Yeah, thanks for asking. Okay, do we know who we want to shout out as we close? I know we're at our hour here, but who who should we shout out? Throw out names. You know, I'm going to shout out Randy Wiggins from Build in Tulsa. He's helping to rebuild Black Wall Street um, as we approach the 100th centennial of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Um, he's going to be relaunching a ton of new things. Um, so he moved from, um, I believe from San Francisco, um, to Tulsa last year and has taken on a a, a kind of a really big thing. So I would say Randy is who I would shout out. Incredible. And how do we, how do we reach you, Candice? How do people find you? Oh, Candice Brackeen on everything. So B-R-A-C-K-E-E-N. And how are they spelling spelling Candice? Oh, Mm C-A-N-D-I-C-E. The right way. Mandela. <laughs> Mandela, who do you want to shout out and how do we find you? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question because I think one of the things I was reflecting on, I was listening to Monique and Candace address your other question about our internal motivations. I never knew this would be such an internal motivation for me to continue this journey, but it's actually my team. And um, you mentioned this person earlier, Arlen, but Paige and also Cord, um, Cordell Brown based in Alabama and Paige Hendricks Buckner based in Portland, Oregon. They've been my rocks through all of this. And there is no way founder Jim would have the success it's had without their involvement in their presence. And I think what I'm so proud of is that neither of them have any prior experience in the tech industry, right? Or in like Silicon Valley. And so I feel like what the transformation I've seen them go through as leaders, um, has been super motivating for me um, to continue my journey as a leader. And so I definitely want to shout out Cordero Brown and Paige Hendricks Buckner for being the other prongs of this machine called Founder Jim. Incredible. And how do we find you? How do we find Founder Jim? Yeah. So Founder Jim, no S. So Founder Jim, singular. (laughs) I learned. I know, I know. And I went to go get the domain, but someone scooped it up. So I don't know who it was, but someone took it. Um, so it's founder, just singular, uh, gym.com uh, is the website. And then I am Mandela, M-A-N-D-E-L-A-S-H on all platforms. So I most, if you want to see like my business side, go to Twitter. If you want to see my personal side, go to Instagram. Yeah, I say that Twitter is what you think and Instagram is what you feel. Okay, I like that. I like that. I think Monique. Um, I would say 
the person that I that I think is like really making changes is Hadia Mujahid. And mm-hmm. she just Hadia um is the founder of HBCU VC. Um, and she just released uh, a book on black called Black Founders at Work. And it's all about the origin stories of black founders and VCs. And I think, you know, those stories aren't told, you know, as often as I would like to see them told. And you often see the the end result, right? You see the, you see Charles Hudson as Charles Hudson, right? You don't see Charles Hudson as the entrepreneur and working for, you know, other firms. Mm -hmm. And I think those are important journeys to understand that we didn't just get here and, and see the success that you see today, but there was a lot of work that was put in um, beforehand and that you can do that too. Wonderful. And how do we, how do we reach you and keep up with what you're doing? Um, I'm at Monique Woodard on Twitter. And you have a website for your, um, for your fund as well, right? I do. It's cake.vc. Awesome. Um, I want to shout out uh, Ania Williams just because Mm -hmm. I think she, she, she was a little ahead of her time, each thing she did. And now I think she is finally um, catching up to all the work she's done. And she had, she was an entrepreneur. She was one of the first six companies we invested in at Tinsel, which was hardware uh, while she was pregnant. Um, And there's a story of how she delivered her own baby at home because she couldn't make it to the hospital. And there's this, you know, amazing, amazing story, she and her husband. And then, um, and then she went on to start Black and Brown Founders and and help launch the zebra movement and be a part of that, you know, and out of Portland and and um, Oakland and other places. So I, I definitely now she's working for the uh, Omidyar Group and I, I it's it's some uh, role there that's impactful. So I just think that's really cool and I don't think she gets enough, you know, praise for that at all. Um, and you can find me at Arlen was here. You know that hopefully by now, if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, I would go on for another hour, but I just feel like, um, each of you probably has everything to do. And I appreciate all of your time. I mean, this was a solid hour plus. Thank you so much for everything. And, um, we'll definitely do this again and we'll get into some like hot topics and things like that, because I do want to, I would love to get your opinion of things. And as I, as I mentioned, as I continue to do the, um, media stuff i would love to call on you all as you're as you're interested or if you're interested yeah i'd love to see you all in person at some point soon too yes very cool very cool thanks everybody thanks for listening thank you for this thanks everybody Hey, it's Arlen. Thanks for listening to this episode. So I would love to keep up with you online. You can find me at Arlen was here on Instagram and on Twitter. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. I cannot wait to continue this conversation with you. Your First Million is produced by Anna Eichenauer. Executive producer, Arlen Hamilton. Associate producer, Chacho Valadez. Theme song is used by permission by the artist Tobey Nguigwe.